Welcome to the Christian Campfire Conversations podcast, where we have real conversations about real topics. Our goal is to educate believers in order to fulfill the Great Commission. So without further ado, let's get on to the podcast. What is up, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my basic family? We are here again with another episode of Christian Campfire Conversations C3 Podcast. My name is Max Moore. I am joined with my co-host, Keegan Lowen, and also with this guy right here. This guy, yes. Pastor Ken Harder. Ken Harder. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Ken is my uncle, and him and his family moved to the United States uh, when I was born in 2004, a couple days after. So Ken has been a pastor in Meade, Kansas, for the past 19 years of his life, um, and um, yeah, what do you think of America so far? Hey, that's good. I'm a U.S. citizen, and uh, I was a Canadian by birth, but American by choice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes, uh, Ken is related to my mom, so hopefully, as through the through the podcast, you don't you don't see too much of my mom uh, seeping through the cracks. But no, just kidding. Um, yeah, so. If you, if someone were to ask who is Ken Harder, what what would you tell them? What are the points that you of your life that you'd want to share? Well, I obviously, uh, I mean, born, being born in Canada, I, I played hockey, and that's not something that's too common around here. Nope. Uh, I played one year in college. Uh, I always wanted to uh, go into the ministry when I was young. I got saved when I was fifteen. Uh, by age of seventeen, I was baptized. There was inherently a problem in my life, and that was the anger and the hatred and unforgiveness towards my own father. Mm-hmm. And so that kept me from those early years from growing as a Christian because I didn't realize that when I first became a Christian, God had adopted me and that now I was his child and he was my father. That idea was not popular in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, I always thought, you know, I got to figure that out because if I'm going to be in the ministry, I can't have this over my head. So who I am is I am in Christ. Uh, what I do is I am a pastor. And uh, yeah, that, that's what I tell people, who, who I am. I, I am a child of God. That's who yeah. I am. But what I do and what I like and uh, and what I enjoy, those are different things. People say, I'm a I'm a carpenter. No, that's what you do who you really are is I am in Christ Mm. and that has really changed my life. Yeah. One thing that's always impressed me about you from afar is just like how, how involved you are in your community. You really pour into them and uh, you came here 19 years ago. And if you were to tell some people from the outside looking in that he's, he's built all these relationships in 19 years, I think it would blow their mind. But we we go to a basketball game with Ken, and there's not there's not one time that we don't find somebody that he he knows. So one thing that's always impressed me about you is you your just relationship that you invest into people. So I just wanted to I just want to tell you that here live in front of everybody. But um, the reason we brought you on this podcast was multiple reasons. But um, one thing that you've really expressed a passion in is just sharing with people their assurance of their salvation and now that might sound like a big scary term but we want we want to bring some simplicity to it so it's the first question i want to ask you um so i've i'll just kind of share a little bit of my personal story you know i've been a christian 
since I was a five-year-old boy, my life has seen various ups and downs in regards to the fruit that my life bears. Um, through all of this, how can I have assurance of my salvation and explain what it means to have assurance of your salvation? Well, um, service is not the same as salvation. Now, I think the connection, obviously, is when we're saved, we're saved to serve. But they're not the same, right? So when you look to your service or you look to your working or your performance or your good deeds for your assurance of salvation, you won't have it. Because inherently, in your flesh, you know that you will fall short, mm-hmm. right? And so what I've started to do is I ask, okay, and this is something that had to become real in my life. The Bible says, I'll just read this verse here, Ephesians 1. And it, it really is one that has opened up to me in the last years. But even when I was first a believer, Ephesians 1 <coughs> Uh, Verse 13, in whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is said by God to come into my life when I heard the gospel, which the word means good news. The good news is that someone, that's Christ, has done something for me that I could not do for myself. He has substituted himself in my place to pay my price for me. It's like, it's like okay, God allowed someone else to pay the price for me, and that was acceptable to him, and yeah, it was. And the Bible says that when I heard the good news, of what Christ had done for me, the gospel of my salvation, then upon having believed, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so then I ask myself, and now everywhere I go, I say to the kids at camp or at Awana or wherever I speak in church, what's the evidence? How do I know that that this has happened? Because if I give something to someone... Let's say I had something in my hand and I'd give it to you. And I'd say to Max, I'd say, okay, so I've given you that. How do you know I gave that to you? Well, it's in my hand. I have it. I can see it right here. Like I was right here in the same room. I, I saw you give it. To, and of course, Keegan, you saw me give it to him. So you also know that he has it. So he can go to, Max can go to Keegan and say, how do I know I have it? Well, didn't you see him give it to you? Don't you remember? You have it in your hand. But the spirit is invisible, right? So how, and this is where, to me, the assurance comes in. How can I know that that's happened? And so I'm going to ask you and get you guys to, how do you know? Based on what? What, what evidence do we have that that's happened? How can I know? How can I have a, a, a guarantee that, that that's happened? I mean, I think you, one of the ways that you can know that the Holy Spirit is in your life is how your life has changed, how your interests and your desires have changed. Like, do you have, like, because if, if the Holy Spirit isn't in your life, you're not really going to truly desire to please God, you know, whatever God might mean to you. But if your Holy Spirit's in your life, you're going to try to be pleasing God with whatever way that might be. Okay, so then let me ask this. So I said, what if 
you come to a place in your life where you don't have that desire. Right? Or, yeah. or you might say, how much of a desire do I have to have and for how long do I have to have that desire in order for me to know for sure that I'm saved? Right? I've, I've, see what I'm saying? Yeah, of? yeah. I see where you're going with that. And, and I think that, that's what trips people up. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if there's something that I have to do, something that I have to prolong in, in order to know, that's the problem. Then I'll never know. So I go back to, how do I know? And of course, I'm not going to, I don't I don't wait too long with the kids when I tell them at camp or at one. I say, how do we know? It's because God's word says it right here. The one who cannot lie promised to me that if I had put my trust in Christ, having believed the gospel of my salvation, upon having believed that I indeed, in fact, was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of my salvation. Yeah. How do I know? Because God well, said it was that God way. said it. Yeah. And that's the only evidence I need. That's the only, that's, that's all the evidence I need. I, mean, I don't know how else to say it. I don't look to my works. I, I expect now that that desire to please God and to live a fruitful life is, is on its way in my life. God's going to build it because that's what he does. But I don't have to look to my life to have that assurance. I can look back to a promise that he made. This is how I know. And, and the reason that I'm so adamant often about that is because inherently I believe true holy living comes out of assurance. <clears throat> Either I'm doing or being who God calls me to be because I am already his child. Or I'm doing it to what? Get something from God or to hold on to something that God's given me or to keep on having what God says is mine. No, I already have that. That's already mine, right? The assurance I have now that I have the Spirit, I'm born again, I'm already today accepted by God. There's nothing I can do further to be accepted by Him. All right, so i got to get that into my mind. That's why the Bible talks about the renewing of our minds. I have to think properly and correctly about these concepts. So if I know that God already has accepted me in Christ... I'm accepted to God because God accepts Jesus. He's perfectly righteous. His righteousness has been credited to my account. Now the things that I do flow from that position. And it just revolutionizes. It it just changes your life. You you can make some mistakes. You can even have habitual problems in your life that are sinful, that you're trying so hard to get out of your life. And yet you don't have to lose your confidence to know that because my faith is in Christ's shed blood, He took my place. In other words, in Romans 8, when Paul talks about who can bring an accusation against one of God's children, you know how Paul says that? Uh, Will God condemn? No, God's the one who is in the justifying business, right? Well, Jesus will condemn. No, Jesus is the one who died on the cross for you. So who's the one who condemns us? If God were challenged, let's just even fast forward to the judgment, the end of time. If Satan challenged God. Look, Ken is a horrible sinner. He deserves death. I believe that God can produce my death certificate. He can point out to the fact that Ken has in fact paid for his sins. I can prove it here. Ken died. The day that my son died, Ken's sin went on Jesus. When Jesus died, Ken died. So there's the death certificate. And then when Christ rose again, I rose with him. Now God has also my new birth certificate. So it's settled. And I think to have the understanding 
in my mind to keep believing this truth has just allowed the holy living to begin to surface itself in my life because I cannot defeat the flesh by my own strength. That's like asking the flesh to defeat the flesh. It doesn't want to, right? My flesh wants to creep up and it wants to sin. And so my, but if I look to my holy living and if I make that my assurance, I always fall short because I feel like I'm not doing enough. So that's how I tell people to get past it, saying you have to believe that the scripture has in fact already said and promised that if I put my trust in Christ, so I say to people, they said, they said, well, how do I know I, that I'm really a Christian? Well, didn't you put your faith in Christ? Yeah, well, then you have a promise from God, right? I mean, it just goes back to that. I wasn't there when they made their faith or when they put their trust in Christ necessarily, but you were. You know if you put your faith in Christ. Don't, don't, let, don't let the enemy move your mind away from believing the truth of what the Scripture declares. Because that's how we get tripped up and we get away from assurance. And anytime you're looking to your performance in order to know that you're saved, I think you're going to struggle with assurance. I think your assurance comes first. And then your holiness comes right out of that. So that's, I don't know if, if you think about that a lot, but that's, that's where I, how I approach it. Because the righteousness of Christ was put on my account, right? Yeah. Yeah, like I think like we have the same um, spiritual history or like the same, we're in the same spiritual place as Jesus. You know, like we we died with Jesus. It says that in um, uh, Galatians 2.20, I think. Yeah, crucified so with Christ. We're crucified yep. with Christ. And so now that we can live holy and blameless. <laughs> and I think it's a good point. Like what what are some things that you see in someone that is struggling to believe that they're saved, like how, you know, if I'm, if I'm hanging out with my friends, or I'm talking with some, some friends of mine that are Christian, you know, how can I kind of maybe move the conversation in a way that can kind of expose that, or how do I know if they're struggling with their assurance of salvation? Yeah, so I'm married, and I tell people the reason that I know I'm married is because I was at my wedding. <laughs> it's pretty good evidence. Yep. Now, my wife and I do married things. We move, live together in the same house. We have children. We, we do all the married things that married couples do. And then I, I tell people, okay, but people who are not married can do the same things. They can do all the married stuff without being married. They can live in the same house. They can have children. They can put their finances all together and, and pretend to be a couple, and they're not ever really married. So doing the married things does not prove I'm married. Okay, so let's take that into the Christian life. Can a non-Christian do some of the same things that God calls Christians to do? The answer is yes. He can love his wife. They can go to church. They can read their Bible. They can give money to charity. And they can show kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Yet they don't know Christ as their Savior. They're not born again. Mm -hmm. So I draw people away from, because if, 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 if the evidence that they need to see whether they're saved or not can be produced by someone who's not saved. That What kind of evidence is that? So that's right. something, something that is in me that cannot be in them. And of course, that's the Spirit of God, and I have that based on the Word of God. So I'm back to living my life 
believing that it's true what God says, I have indeed been born again, and I have already been adopted by God. So I just, I just go back to that again. I just keep going back to people yeah. saying, just let me show you in the Word what's true of you, and just put your confidence fully fixed and believe what God says. Otherwise, your work is going to be, you're, you're going to feel like you have to do some of these things to, oh, I don't see the evidence in my life that I really saved, so I'm going to do some more stuff. Well, doing more stuff is no more going to save me than doing more stuff is going to make me married. If you never went to the altar and got married, you're not married. Yeah. Right? You can look at all the evidence you want to do, all the marriage stuff, but you're not married. So that's, that's what I do. Any, anymore now, I just get away from this performance doing and good works as evidence. I appreciate, you know, even you said, Max, that you have this desire, but I'm, I, I plug in and say, okay, how much desire do I have to have and for how long do I have to have it? And then the answer is, well, no one's perfect. See, this is the problem. God does actually require total perfection to get to heaven, and the only way to have it is yeah. by getting the righteousness of Christ given to me as a free gift. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm playing the devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, but when when I read First John, you know, I see a lot of this stuff. It's like, oh man, well, you know, if I don't love someone, then that means I'm not in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like the one particular that says, "He that uh, is born of God does not commit sin." And I look at my life and I go, oh, "Man, I'm just committing sin." Yeah. Here. So I'm wondering if I'm again. Now let's remember, I'm born with a nature that is sinful. Mm-hmm. And that's why I sin. My, I'm already born when I'm first born. The Bible says that in Romans 5, verse 12, as one man sinned, Adam, so sin passed upon all men, for all have sinned, right? So that For I was formed in iniquity in my exactly. mother's womb. We're born with a sin nature. It's within me. And ultimately, I get old enough to act on that nature that's within me, and as soon as I do, I become a sinner, right? And that's why we're all sinners. We all have that sin nature. That's when I'm born... And so it comes under God's judgment. God sees nothing good. There's no reformation that can happen to my old nature. So God just condemned it to death, nailed it to the cross, and crucified it. But I still have it. I'm just saying he condemned my nature. And then when I was saved, a new nature came inside me. Christ himself took up residence through his Holy Spirit. I have now a new nature. Mm. I got my old sin nature. He's over there. And now I have a new nature. And these two are doing what? Battle. They're doing this. Okay, he that is born of God does not commit sin. Okay, now look at that. This one will still commit sin. This one can't. That's what he's telling us. If I have the new nature, I'm born again. Mm-hmm. I got a nature now inside me that can never commit sin. Because Christ can't sin. Christ is in me. So this nature overpowers this one. This one wants to commit sin. So if I'm looking at myself, and I'm saying, well, I committed a sin, so therefore I must not be born again. All I'm seeing is that I still have my old nature. That's not evidence that I'm not born again, because I have to believe that I have a new nature that cannot sin. And I think if you get your mind wrapped around that fact again and renew your mind, your thinking is correct about these two natures. Then I want to listen to this new guy. I don't want to listen to this old one anymore. And I know that I can't overpower him. He's already condemned God doesn't want me to even reform that nature. This is the one that he wants me to follow. And so I look at those passages of which you speak, uh-huh. and those are, hey, the new nature in me yeah, says wants that. to do that. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. We, we actually chatted a little bit yesterday um, about a lot of these things, and one of the passages you brought up and I, I questioned you on was, I think it's in Matthew talking about, by your fruits you will know that they will know you. And this is a very common passage used, so common that I even went on gotquestions.org, a very, very uh, helpful resource for Christians out there, and I just typed in the simple prompt of, can a Christian lose salvation? And this, the, the simple answer they gave is no, and they, and they gave, they gave a, lots of good and different reasons, but they, they cl- included this, this Matthew 7 verse in there. And y- you, you shared with me kind of some context for that verse that makes it really, um, really important. So you just want to share a little bit of that, what we talked about? Sure. Um, in Matthew 7, uh, particularly starting at verse 15, he said, Beware of false prophets. So he's talking about the men that are coming into the church that are saying they speak for God. And so he says that they come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. You're right there. Who's the them? The false teachers. Mm-hmm. So if you apply the test of what they say and what they do, you look at what they say against the scripture, and then you look at what they do in their life, and then you should be able to, you can tell if they're really speaking for God or if they're not. But if you and I will try to apply this test about their fruits to someone to know if they're a Christian or not, we get it wrong every time. Because a non-Christian could produce the same kind of fruit. Mm-hmm. He could produce love. He could be peaceful. Right? He could be yeah, faith- could, faithful. He could, he could be a better Christian than I am. Right. You know, in quotation marks. In his works, right? Yeah. And then his deeds, but but if you applied that, and so the work or the fruit of a false teacher is often, and in Matthew twelve, Jesus refers to this. Uh, he says there, uh, twelve verse. Uh, it's so dark here. Uh, about the. Well, he's talking to the Pharisees about they're chastising Jesus. They're saying to him, "Well, you're doing this by the power of Beelzebub." He's, 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 they're committing the unpardonable sin, right? Like, like this is the final straw. This is where they're finally making their decision that they are not going to receive Jesus as the one God sent as the Messiah. The only thing left to do is to convince Pilate and the Roman government to kill him. They have, there's no going back. They have made their final decision, so this is their unpardonable sin. They never go back. And so he says to them about this tree uh, and, and the things that are said uh, Matthew 12, verse, I think it's in 31. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven you. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, verse 32, uh, 33, make the tree good and the fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruits. Um, so if you have bad fruit on a tree, Jesus says then the tree is bad. So, then I, I, this I think what you talked about last night. Mm-hmm. Is the fruit on my tree always good? Or is there sometimes, can I find bad fruit? He's saying that if I find bad fruit on my tree, then I'm a bad tree. Uh-huh. But, but it can't be, it can't be whether I'm a Christian or not because I still have my sin nature. So, I'm liable to have some still bad fruit in my life because I still have that old nature, right? Mm-hmm. And I have... Hopefully, lots of good fruit too, because they balance. Hopefully, 
in my life that this one is being subdued and this one is the one that's coming yeah. forth. But on a false teacher, if his life doesn't match up and if the things that he say don't match up, then he's a bad treat. Don't listen to him. So for a false teacher, the fruit test works. But if the church wants to be fruit inspectors and they want to tell people whether they're saved or not, this is what will hurt people extremely and people will have lose their confidence and think they're not saved because people are looking at their fruit to see whether they're saved or not. And not saying, well, the Bible says you are in fact already saved. See? Now we're back to that. Yeah. Or um, now what is like, what's like a pretty, do you know of like common phrases that a lot of evangelicals use to like produce this uncertainty of salvation that, you know, maybe people's, I don't know any of them, but I have heard a couple of them that I'm like, man, man, if you told people that they, they would think that they're not saved if they took that and believed it. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure of, of those phrases, except maybe people use the once saved, always saved. Uh, I, I like to tend to think there's a group of people that is once saved, maybe saved. They're just <laughs> never quite sure. Uh, um, never saved, maybe saved, right? Like you, have, <laughs> you have different categories that people who think they're saved, but they may not be. Yeah. And I think all of it is a disservice because in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11... John writes, these things I've written to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life, right? The purpose for writing. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you, this is not a subject you should not know. This is something very important for Christians to know. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I wrote them so you would know. And then he says in verse 12, he that has the son has life. He that does not have the son does not have life. So eternal life is a someone and not a something. So I think, I don't know what phrases we're looking for, but yeah. people, people assume that eternal life is a something that they can reach out to or they can reject or they can have and then not have, they can have and then lose. Uh, when in fact, eternal life is Christ's life. Christ's life and his righteousness is applied to my account. His life is now lived through me. He lives his eternal life through me. And I like to say, people say, can you lose your salvation? Well, is it yours or is it God's? Mm -hmm. If it's his salvation, he, he's not going to lose it. Right. Yeah. And if it's yours, then you don't even have it to begin yeah. with, right? Another, so. another way to put that would be um, having the object of salvation, Jesus being the object, not just having the subject, like something that we can go, that we can go and grab. It's Jesus is the object that we accept, and now we are living... Um, as through his life. And so can God make a mistake? No, he, I mean, he can't. He's, he's 100% perfect. Um, and one, one, so you talk about this sin nature and this new nature that we receive from receiving the Holy Spirit. How do we align our new nature with our actions? How, how do we let that be master over our mm -hmm. life? Well, I like Galatians 5, so... In 16, he says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then immediately following, he lists what that old nature would produce. Not the whole list there of the sins of the flesh. And then here's the fruit of the Spirit on the other side. So you can see what each one produces. This one produces this, and this one produces this. Mm -hmm. Again, I see that, and I'm saying this is not me producing it. This is my sin nature over here produces this list. 
Christ through his spirit produces this one. I want to walk in the spirit, right? That's what I want. If I allow this guy's temptations to deceive me and to tempt me versus, because God said when the Holy Spirit comes into my life, he's going to bring to remembrance, right? All the things I've said. So he's going to bring scripture to my mind. Uh, another thing he said, he was going to guide me. He was going to lead me. The flesh wants to look at me. And I'm going, I don't think so. I mean, you've been, you've been crucified, sir. I don't live there no more. It's like, you're not my landlord. I don't owe you no more rent. Why are you knocking at my door thinking I owe you something? Man, I don't. I have a new landlord. And so if he keeps knocking, I say, Jesus, will you get that? <laughs> That's a <laughs> funny way of putting it. But. So I think walking in the Spirit means just realizing and understanding that Christ is the one who fulfilled the law on my behalf. God took the law, Colossians says, and nailed it to the cross. Because if God ever brings the law back and applies it to my life, I would be condemned. So he's not gonna, he promised not to do that, right? He put the law aside. So living in, in a understanding that I don't have to obey the law now to please God. I obey the law in a sense because I, I want to. I, I love what Christ did for me. I'm so grateful for what he's done for me. Right? So I want to live in that vein, but if I forget, this is the thing about renewing my mind, right? <clears throat> renewing my mind tells me not to forget what he has done. He's the one who paid for salvation. He's the one who did all the work, right? He's the one who is wanting to live his resurrected life in and through me. If it weren't for him, I would be condemned and lost under sin. So I think to keep pointing people back to what Christ has done, I'm now on co-mission together with him, right? That's called the Great Commission. We say co-mission together. His mission is now my mission, right? And when I, you know, there's, there's this, the, the, a section or a camp within Christianity that has this idea that, well, I got to, like Jesus said in Luke, also in, in, uh, in Matthew, take up your cross and follow me. The idea that the cross is for me, that I'm supposed to die on that cross, when in fact, by me taking up my cross, it reminds me I'm already dead. I already died when Christ died. I'm already dead to sin. The idea that somehow I have yet to die to sin, then people say, well, what do I have to do to die to sin? Instead, they forget, I already died to sin. I'm already dead to it. I'm, I'm, I'm loosed from it. I already don't have to serve it. I'm already now free to serve Christ. See, Again, it's all in my thinking correctly about what God has said is true, which then allows the Spirit to become the strong one in my life. I read the Word, and I study the Word, and I find the truth there that, oh, this is true of me. This is so good. And I just want to get closer and closer and closer to him, right? And I get further and further away from my flesh. Mm -hmm. Or when someone lives in sin, then they are ignoring the new nature, and they are giving in to the wiles or the lusts of the old nature, right? It doesn't change their relationship with Christ because Christ is not going to leave me. He's, the new nature is here to stay. Christ can't sin. And finally, when I die, this one goes off into the grave, and the new one goes where? To heaven. And then I get a new body, and when I get to heaven, I don't have to contend with that old nature no more. Mm -hmm. On this earth, we, we're, we're going to have this. There's going to be a battle. The flesh lusts against the spirit. 
there's going to be a war that we are in, and we cannot get out of that war. We have to engage that war, and I think it's fought in our minds. It's actually not fought in our actions. Our actions will follow. If our thinking is wrong, we're going to have wrong actions. So I don't believe so much that God wants behavioral change. So if I see my behavior changing, I must be saved. God wants renewing of my mind. God wants my thinking right. Then he knows behavior is going to be there because the mouth will speak what's in the heart, right? So if I get the heart surgically repaired by the Holy Spirit, my mouth is going to start to speak that stuff. Or my heart is filled with this other junk from this nature, mm-hmm. and my mouth spills out of that, right? And that's as a, that's as a result of our salvation, not to prove it. Yeah. So, so I like to say that it's, it is a result of not a condition. A condition means if I don't do that first in order to be, be saved. I'm saying because I'm saved, with the Holy Spirit's power now, I actually have the ability to overcome sin because Christ has already overcome it. I'm already at, at a place of victory. And so that's what I got to think about, and that's what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to spend learning how to walk in the Spirit, just know more about what He's done for me, and just rest in that. And I know He overcomes sin, and because I cannot overcome sin. Mm-hmm. I don't have that ability. If I did, then Christ wouldn't have had to die for me. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we talk about this importance of having assurance of our salvation. What are, what are like, some possible repercussions of not being sure of it? Like, how does this affect someone's life? You say, yeah... I'm saved, but maybe if I do something bad down the road, maybe that'll change. What What are the repercussions that you see with that? One of the things that I have seen personally, and I might say it's true in my own life when I've been that way, is um, God can't be trusted. God's word cannot be trusted. Is That's not, not reliable. And that causes all kinds of problems in finances and in marriage and in relationships because all of those are guided by instruction from God's word. But if his word can't be trusted, he didn't really save me. He didn't, it wasn't really true of me. Um, like I was talking to one guy who thought you had to stop sinning before you could be saved. And so he had no assurance of salvation because he just couldn't stop sinning. And I said to him, well, okay, so even if you stop sinning today, I wish you could. But if, if you did, Wow, awesome. So the rest of your life, you'll now no longer sin. What about the sin you already committed? It's already t- it's, if, if you stop sinning, it's still too late for you. You've already sinned, right? You still are going to have to have a Savior to die for you. Mm-hmm. because, and so, and so when you look at it that way, so that's one of the repercussions is you, you, you believe that if you could somehow knock off that sin nature or somehow stop that sinning, that then somehow you'd be more pleasing to God. And that would be horrible because you have to already embrace the idea that I'm already accepted by God because of what Christ did for me. So then, then there's a freedom to, yeah, I just don't think you live a holy life if you don't have assurance. Matter of fact, I know you can't because the idea that once you live a holy life, you've knocked off, you've broken all those habits, you've done all that, then you'll have assurance of your salvation. No, you won't. There'll be another sin that's going to come against you that you're going to have to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. I like to say assurance is the very thing about the gospel that, because he says if you believe you have eternal life, how long is eternal, right? So it is eternal. 
and, and shall never perish means I'll never perish, right? So one of the practical repercussions not knowing that you're saved is you don't live in victory. You don't, you won't serve the way you're supposed to. You, you will assume that you're still an orphan when you have already been adopted. Lack of assurance is, is horrible uh, for, for believers. They're so confused because it leads to depression and it leads to them, well, what do I have to do to get God to love me, right? And the truth is nothing because you can't do anything to make God love you. God already loves you unconditionally. If he loved me based on condition, then he wouldn't love me because I'm not lovable at all times. Mm -hmm. But he loves me at all times. Yep. Right? Yeah. So that's the, the practical implications there is you, and if you teach, if you're the person that doesn't believe in assurance of salvation, even if you may very well have trusted Christ yourself, you just don't know for sure that you're saved, your message of doubt to the next generation is going to be extremely harmful. And maybe the third generation won't even know Christ at all. They will not know Christ as their Savior because He can't save me. There's, I have no confidence in God that He can actually save me. And so they think they're doomed to a life of failure and, and sin. Yeah, really, like the more you talk about this, the more I just think that it, 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 how much it denotes Jesus' saving power for our lives, you know, because basically what it's saying is like, well, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but that's not really enough if I'm not saved. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, even if you don't necessarily think those exact thoughts, that's the logical conclusion of not having an assurance of salvation or not believing in assurance of salvation. Exactly, and I think it really puts God's character <coughs> to shame, and people say, oh, I don't want anything to do with a God like that, and that's why our evangelism is hindered, because why would someone want... Cause Romans 4, verse 4 and 5, to him who stops working. That's verse 5. But believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Who does God save? He saves sinners. And what a hope there is for me being a sinner that I could be saved. Wow. Just incredible. You do that for me? I did. Absolutely. Wow. That's awesome news. Right? And now from that now flows this confidence. I don't ha ever have to, like, like, just think if you, what were the implications if you went home to your parents' home and you suddenly saw, uh, I'm, I'm speaking of somebody that I know that this happened to, that their picture was taken down off of the wall in their parents' home. So parents were acting like you weren't their child. We wouldn't feel like going to their home. You're not, we wouldn't feel like you would be welcome there or you wouldn't be wanted there. What would you have to do to continue being their child? I mean, you became their child when you were born, and now all of a sudden you're not their child. So how how can I become their child? How can how can I get them to just just think about the implications of that relationship with your parents? If that were you, now think of it as God. Why would you want to love God, serve Him, walk in obedience to Him with joy, when? I bet he doesn't even accept me. I, I don't think I don't think he loves me enough to save me. I, I just don't think I'm just not good enough. Yeah, you're not good enough, but he is. See, he's good enough. Mm -hmm. I have to not trusting God's word could lead to people who don't believe that it's true that God created the world in six days. Then they have to come up with an alternative theory. It's, it's simple. Either God can be trusted; it is the way He said it is, or it's not. 
then, then, then what good? If it's not true in Genesis that God created the world in six days, how do I know John 3.16 is true? See, this is the implications of people who, who are taught that they can't know for sure that they can be saved. And I, it just leads to all kinds of spiritual consequences and even physical I, I, I don't even know if I could list them all, but mm-hmm. there, there's a new bunches of not Let, knowing if your last breath that you'd be in heaven. Can you just think about mm, that? Yeah. Let's flip that on its head, though. Mm-hmm. What is the freedom, the freedom of assurance? What, what, what does this grant us of those who are in Christ who can boldly proclaim that they're in Christ? How, how does this add? How does this add to our quality of life here on earth? Okay. For one, I have access now to the Father. In the Old Testament, there was a veil, and the people were had to stay on their side of the veil. They were never allowed, except the high priest could go once a year, never without blood, in behind that curtain into God's presence. Now the veil is gone. In Christ, being adopted by him, I have the same position that Jesus has. I have access to the Father. It's like if I would go up to heaven's throne, and there's Gabriel said, Oh, no, buddy, you're a sinner. You better not try. Sinners can't survive in God's presence. You better step aside, Gabriel. I'm going to go. I have an, I'm going to sit down on my daddy's lap. I can go sit down on the throne room of God on God's lap, put my arm around his shoulder, and say, "Dad, I got to talk to you." I come out and Gabriel is amazed. You you lived, yeah. I belong there. A child of God belongs in God's presence. That's the throne room where we're welcomed. Think think about the freedom that his. I'm already accepted. Mm-hmm. My sins already forgiven. Christ has already paid the price for me. I've already been adopted. I'm in God's mind. I'm already in heaven. Wow. I mean, the freedom now yeah. and the implications of, even if I mess up once in a while, I don't have to fear that I'm going to be condemned by God because I believe he said there would be no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And I'm one of the ones that believes that it's true what he said, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how I flipped that back on his head. To have that confidence to know my sin is forgiven, it is already paid for, and there's nothing that I have that I offer God that he accepts because he's already accepted it. I'm going, there's not anything, he didn't hold anything back. The Spirit has already come into my life. I've already been baptized into the body of Christ. He already has brought spiritual gifts into my life. It's just a matter of me now using what he's given me, right? And learning about what he's given me. Mm-hmm. And I will spend the rest of my life learning about that. But I don't have to go back and I don't have to keep on trying to find out whether truly my sin is forgiven because the Bible says it is. Yeah, not, right? f- not focusing on... Proving our own salvation gives us so much more time to share our salvation with others. To to say the mission, the mission of our podcast, and the mission that God gave to all of His all of His people is go and make disciples of all the nations. Um, that's that's the goal. And I'll just state our mission statement is to equip you guys with knowledge so you can go and fulfill the Great Commission. And this frees up so much headspace. That, that that night when I was five years old saying Christ I want I God I want you to come into my heart I want you I want you to be the master of my life um, did I understand every last detail of it no but I knew enough to be saved and God is gonna is and he he's he's if you allow him he's gonna work through your life but that's not to prove your salvation it's a byproduct of yes. your salvation so the medicine that we tell the world we have, the solution to their sin problem, but I have no confidence in it. I don't know if it really works, but you should probably try it. No, you're not likely to try it. But if I say, hey, look how it works. He actually saved me. I was Mm -hmm. a sinner. I was condemned, and now look at me. I am actually saved. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. That, I want people to say, I want what he has, right? right. Like, that's what I want. And I think it'll really push our evangelism to the next level if we have confidence to believe that the blood of Christ is actually sufficient to save sinners yeah. through faith. It gives us so much more power to our testimony. Yeah. It does. Well, Ken, if you just had one thing, like, I mean, people that listen to this podcast are thinking, man, that was a lot of information. Mm-hmm. One takeaway, what would it be? To believe what God has said is true, and it'll, it'll change your life. You don't have to feel it. I don't have to necessarily understand all of it. And I know I definitely don't have to do it all the time because I forget sometimes because I'm human. But don't forget that God's word can be trusted, and it is exactly the way he says it is. Mm-hmm. And therein is going to be your freedom to succeed. Yeah, amen. I I just really want to thank you for uh, coming on this podcast. Yeah. This will not be the last time you'll be here. I promise you that. Um, you you shared so much specifically on this topic, and I thank you for that. But we want you to know that Ken is knowledgeable in so many other areas, and uh, we, we look forward to learning and questioning you um, as the years go on. I uh, just want to thank you for what you do for your community, what yeah. you do for everyone. John 5.24 says, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that hears my words and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. It's already happened. Peace out. Peace Peace family. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Christian Campfire Conversations. I'll see you next week.